Welcome to the Insurance Post podcast. I'm Emran Hughes, editor of Insurance Post, and today I'm joined by McLaren's Graham Smart and Clear Group's Howard Lickens to talk about how to achieve a successful merger in insurance. Today on the Insurance Post podcast, we're excited to have with us Howard Lickens, Executive Chairman of the Clear Group, and Graham Smart, Chief Commercial Officer of McLaren's. They're going to share their expertise with us on how to bring together businesses, plus their experience of mergers and acquisitions, as well as offering advice on how to best combine forces. Hi, Howard and Graham. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Emma. Thanks for inviting me. Hi, Emma. So, mergers and acquisitions continue to be highly active as scale and capability remain scarce commodities to drive investment in the insurance industry. Howard, what do you think will be the forces driving M&A activity this year? Well, I, I think it's probably pretty much unchanged from, from what it's always been. It's a matter of supply and demand. There's so much demand um, and so much capital chasing around relatively few, relatively small supply of brokers. So yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's not likely to uh, um, to reduce the pace very much. Um, yes, there may be some shortage of supply, but that just means that we're chasing around even harder trying to get it. Graham, would you agree? Chasing harder even this I, year? I, I don't think um, strategic objectives will change. Um, yeah, acquisition is a is a key um, mechanism for growth, and I think there's the, the still demand for growth, and I think some of the market forces will actually continue to, to drive that with the increase in regulatory pressures, the challenges around compliance. Um, smaller businesses are, are are feeling the pressures that, that that creates, and being part of a bigger group help, helps alleviate some of those pressures. So I think the the opportunities will still be there. Yeah, you refer that. I mean, there were clear economic headwinds as we um, enter into 2023. Uh, how do you, so, Graham? What do you think it takes basically to make a successful merger and acquisitions given the current economic climate? I think the the principal uh, success factor in any acquisition is a strategic alignment. Um, there has to be a meeting of minds between the two, the two businesses. Any um, any variance from from, from that it creates issues further down the line. So um, the two businesses have got to be uh, on the same page strategically, um, both in the in the in the discussions and, and most importantly post post closure. Secondly, a culture mm. and you know, probably the, the the biggest hurdle that uh, that we at McLaren's would always um, look to ensure we we get over is a cultural fit. Mm. Would you agree, Howard? Is uh, a cultural fit key to basically? Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. We we, in fact, I had a, an advisor sort of look look a, look a, askance at me when we did decline a, a deal simply because of that. You know, it's the arithmetic made sense, the numbers were fine, but we couldn't envisage how they would fit in. Um, yeah, we're uh, we're looking for a long term solution. We're wanting people to have long term homes, and you know, you can't just buy on the basis of. Well, the money looks okay. Let's buy it. You know, you, it has to be. There has to be a fit. But how do you make sure you've got that fit? Because obviously, initially, you're talking about the nature of the business. What are clear, clear giveaways in terms of that there might be a problem with culture? I mean, it's it's one of those things that you it, it emerges, and and this is why I think I'm always a little bit less interested in in processes where you're given about five minutes to talk to the management. If you have time to talk to the manager, if you have time to build up relationships. They will, they will tell you what they're looking for. Um, and 
you know what they value and uh, and whether it whether it is all about the money whether it's about relationships and you know you could come out of those those meetings and you've either got a meeting of mind and and we'll go for it you know gung-ho or you think it's not one for us and, and that's fine obviously when these deals are often announced there's a massive focus on the balance sheet what do bosses need to do to make sure they get the best price for their business graham in, in advance, you know, the business has got to be properly properly structured, uh, and you know, that needs to come out in initial discussions, even before you get to, to due diligence. Um, the, the the worst thing that can happen in any any transaction is is surprise, and so as part of the the, the initial process, the initial discussions is about um, building trust, understanding you know, the the challenges in a business, um, identifying what are red line issues. You know, there the will be situations where if one party has a particular uh, issue that for them is absolutely paramount and that has to come out at the earliest opportunity and not be a surprise at, at, at some point post-closure or or during the uh, the due diligence process when you know, hearts and minds are set and, and you know, f- frankly uh, cost is expended mm. um, you, know, you want those those issues to be identified at the earliest, earliest opportunity so I think it's about preparing a business, um, making sure that you have people, um, key people, um, won over in- internally, you know, hearts and mind stuff, and also making sure that they are you know, properly locked in, mm. um, locked in emotionally, locked in, locked in culturally, so that when 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 the transaction completes, the business looks exactly as it did before mm. closure, and that we've you've got. That the people that you expect to have our our businesses are our people businesses our industry is, is people led, and so it's it's the people that are the, the real key factor here. Would you agree, Howard? Is it key? Is, is it key to make sure that you know it, to get the best price for your business, you need to be able to offer that reassurance that what you're buying today is what your yes, the, the buyer's going to get. get. Yeah. I, all I would add though is that there's there's a different um, different segments of the market are a little bit different. So you know, we st- we still at Clear are very prepared to invest in small businesses in successions, and if you're talking about a two, three, four man business, they don't need that same level of sophistication from when you're buying a twenty, thirty, forty man business. So we're perfectly prepared to put up with you know relatively incomplete information because um, that can be found. It's just these are simple businesses, but for the more complicated business, the larger ones where the management are going to stay on for a distinct length of time, you often see businesses that really would have benefited from getting advice and preparing the ground um, and sometimes yeah, you, there's a lot of tidying up needed which is which, which should have been avoided Indeed, once the purchase is completed what does the buyer need to do to make sure that they retain the talent and intellectual property that attracted them to the business in the first place is, is, it, is that dealt with if you've basically done sufficient work prior to the deal being completed or you know what ongoing work do you need to do to retain the talent Graham? I, I think it's almost too late at, at that yeah. point you, you've, you've got to be certain that you, you that the cultural fit is there that you're going into this uh, transaction um, with a meeting of minds you know, a, a very similar strategic objectives and post-closure that you've got um, an integrated business, and inter- integrated means different things to different businesses, and it, it isn't necessarily about you know, cr- cr- crashing two businesses together, and um, most definitely isn't about imposing um, a particular way on, on a business. But what you ha- what you have to have is um, that all the businesses pulling in in the, in the same direction. Mm-hmm. So the, the 
the acquiring company's objectives are, are understood and form part of the the, 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 ven- the vendor business's objectives. Mm. What, what, yeah, we're we're all already talking about um, what the integration is going to look like at the first presentation to to a potential target. We're mm. already having that conversation. We're talking about what it's going to feel like after the event, what it's going to feel like for their staff, and we call it a soft landing. But that that's you you, you can't have any surprises. Mm. And, and there are there are ch- there are changes that are inevitable in that that might be switching to a new accounting platform, an operating system, you know, they are all part and parcel of, of essentially you know, the key um, operational elements of, of, the, of the business going forward. But where, where, where you can you know, rec- recognise the reason you, you've acquired the business um, and you know, change for change sake um, isn't necessary. No. I mean, what lessons have you learnt from your past m activity? You know, has it been having now so much experience it's kind of a very standard process or is it as you've touched on that sometimes you're learning things from the companies that you're purchasing and you know adapting and changing how you approach M&A as you go well most definitely learning um we've concluded uh five transactions during lockdown Mm. um some of those transactions have been concluded remotely without any face-to-face uh, interaction out, out of necessity. So um, we've developed now a pretty slick internal and, and efficient process drawing in people from the relevant disciplines around the business. But what we have also created now is a, is a mechanism where at any point in time um, anybody involved in that process can metaphorically put the hand up and, and raise an issue and identify challenges so we get to them very early on and make sure if it is a red line issue for us or a red line issue um, for, for for the vendors, that they're identified and and addressed, and and you know, in, in the worst situation, you know, if we have to step away because we can't find a meeting of minds, then that's what we do. And I imagine doing that in lockdown was that something you'd have ever envisaged doing as as M and A activity prior to um, the pandemic? Well, our our strategy for acquisition and growth. Was unchanged, but by 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 the, by the pandemic, as as it is indeed now, um, and you know, that, that strategy is all about finding um, new opportunities and ways to to improve our customer outcomes. Yes, it brought about a you know, different different approach. But actually, it brought about efficiencies in, in the process that now carry forward into the way we look at M and A going forward. Mm. Howard, what le- um, what lessons have you learned from your past M&A activity? Um, yeah, Graham already talked about culture and, and I think it's important that you have introduced that, the concept of how important that is right at the beginning before the deal and you've got to act in, in accordance with that right the way through the deal. So there's no surprises. Um, we, we talk about looking after all the stakeholders so the customer must always come first. Your staff come pretty close second. And right at the end of the queue are your investors and your stakeholders. And I think, you know, they will do brilliantly if we've looked after all the others. And I do take issue with some of my competitors that it feels they put it around the other way. And I think that's putting mm. the coach for the horse. Is that partly, so it's one of the lessons kind of in terms of how you communicate the benefits of the M&A yeah, activity absolutely. across the chain? And I think there's got to be benefits for the clients. There's got to be benefits for the staff. And if you can achieve that, you know, everybody will, everybody will benefit. And obviously it would be remiss of me not to ask, so what advice would you be giving to any insurers who are contemplating M&A activity in 2023? 
Oh, please, we don't need any more. <laughs> <laughs> well, well uh, in fact, what was it? There was a slight reduction, wasn't there, in 2022? But I'm sure there'll, there'll be, there's already activity, so... I think, yes, there's yeah. been, been a flurry of Yes. That. I mean, arithmetically, the numbers may well reduce because the number of brokers is reducing. The numbers of, you know, we, we specialise in commercial insurance. I think there's only 200-odd brokers in the commercial space um, employing more than 20 staff. They aren't all for sale. So the, you know, there is a limited limited supply. But, yeah, there, there's ways around that. There's other parts of the market we can all extend into. Um, yeah, there, there are ways around. But, yes, there's an awful lot of money chasing them at the moment because we're such a resilient sector. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going into... Um, we're going into recession, presumably. We got through COVID, and we just plow, you know, plug away. I was going to say like a, like an oil tanker. That's probably not the best comparison I could have thought <laughs> of. But, mm. but commercial broking yeah. is resilient. It's it copes with most things that get thrown at. And is it some, is that something if you're contemplating M and A activity worth bear, or having at the forefront of your mind as well in terms of you know in, in, in other sectors m a activity is dr- driven by economic downturns and people yeah, losing their yeah. nerve yeah, yeah and, and somehow in our world i think because it's still relationship based mm. um insurers insurers don't generally like to massively reduce their premiums because we're in a recession they find a way of keeping keeping their uh, their levels up so pretty much um we're, we're not we're not we're not recession proof but we're we're as resilient as most sectors could be. A necessity, basically. Yes, so. yes, yes, a necessity. Yes, a, a grudge purchase. <laughs> um, and Graham, what advice would you give to people considering M and A activity this year? I think the the, the, key, the key thing comes back to what I said earlier, and that's um, it's got to be a, a strategic fit. It's got to be a decision that is made um, f- in line with with your your strategy and. For, for us at McLaren's, that's that's about um, growing our geographical spread. It, it, it's about adding um, niche expertise or um, developing some of the adjacent services. So, really important that you, know, you, you stick stick to your strategy. Mm. You know, the, the market is is beginning to cool. Um, we know there are there are pressures on access to finance. Um, you know, is, is that going to have an impact on? On, on transaction volume, on on, on pricing, uh, yes, I'm, I'm sure it will. It, it, does that mean then that act, activity uh, reduces? I, I think you, you, you will see that. But the, the, the challenge then becomes um, a meeting of minds around price expectation. And so, you know, as as those pressures in, in, increase, does that mean that vendors um, have to be more modest in their Expectations. expectations around mm. price, yeah, absolutely. But I think for for those businesses um, like like us, where we, you, know, you have the the ability to continue to do transactions, those transactions will will, will happen. As, as Howard how it said, you know, that there are still plenty of opportunities there. Mm. Howard, so would you agree? M and A is still worth pursuing if it's part of your st- if it fits with the strategy. But temper your price expectations. Some people might need to temper their I, I price wish. expectations. <laughs> <laughs> you're not you're not seeing it filter through at the moment, Howard. Yeah. <laughs> I think you talk about people entering into the into the world of buying brokers. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is a nuanced. It's an art, not a science. You know, there, are, there are lots of aspects to it. I think. I think going at your peril if you haven't got some experience in in the space. Um, there's there's plenty of examples. I mean, I think, yeah, broker acquisitions are, are relatively 
on average more successful than many uh, many other sectors are but there's still plenty we've seen that are, are a complete mess so there, there, there's an art to it definitely art rather than science I think that's a lovely note to end on that brings us to the end of this episode of the Insurance Post podcast I'd like to thank Howard and Graham for joining us and sharing their insights on mergers and acquisitions in the insurance market as always also thanks to you for listening to the Insurance Post podcast if you enjoy our show please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to Insurance Post and following us on Facebook LinkedIn and Twitter Make sure you come back next week to reflect on lessons the insurance industry learned from COVID-19. Until then, this is Emran Hughes signing off. The Insurance Post podcast is a product of InfoPro Digital.